Grumpy Old Geeks, a weekly talk show hosted by Brian Schulmeister and Jason DeFilippo, discussing the finer points of what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Welcome to Grumpy Old Geeks. I'm Jason DeFilippo. And I'm Brian Schulmeister. Jason, I've decided to use this platform of ours uh, for a, a crowd cloud crowdsourcing, crowdsourcing, however the hell you want to call it, ask about something here. I think that would be uh, the lazy pod, like we yeah, used to have the lazy web. Basically lazy, because I did Google this, and uh, it, I, I just I figured the people that listen to this show might have some tips for me. Uh, my mom found an old microcassette, like the ones that you used to put in the in, in answering machines back in the day when we had such things, and she was wondering and thinking quite probably correctly that my dad's voice might be on there. And that would be kind of cool. I would like to grab that and kind of digitize it. My mom wants to hear it. Unfortunately, obviously, I don't have a micro cassette player anywhere. Um, right. So I Googled. And I don't really feel like spending 150 bucks or what? going to eat. They're not cheap because nobody really makes them anymore. Outdated oh technology God. when you need to get a hold of it can become pretty expensive. So I was just wondering if anybody out there knows of a quick and cheap and easy way to get a micro cassette player for digitization. Um, maybe libraries even rent them. I don't know, but maybe somebody out there does because I'd rather not spend 300 bucks for 10 minutes. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Wow, you're just, looking... you're Googling it right now, right? It's, no, it's I just insane. went to Amazon. I just went to Amazon and typed in <laughs> micro cassette. Yeah. 249, 379. Yeah. Oh my God. So all of a sudden it became, yeah, sure, mom, I'll take care of that for you. It'd be pretty cool to hear my dad's voice and see what's on this tape to what the F? <laughs> I found a used one for $20.99. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I might end up doing that. But again, you know, we've got a bunch of people that listen and a bunch of people that are older and a bunch of people that like crazy tech. So we'll see if anybody has any suggestions for me. Yeah, maybe somebody has one in a shoebox somewhere that they could loan you. <laughs> <laughs> because I literally, I'm going to need it for like 15 minutes. That's it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I used to carry around a micro cassette recorder back in when I was like 22. Mm -hmm. So that was quite some time ago. A uh, friend of the show, Robert Fogarty, and I went to Scotland and we called it Starlog. And that was our audio blog back then and i still have I, I digitized all of those and they're pretty funny because we were really drunk and nearly got in some fist fights with some some very angry scotsmen that's not surprising at all yeah for some reason they, they were offended when uh when bob asked them if there were any scottish pirates so i don't know <laughs> i why. used to have a little mini disc recorder that i used oh, yeah. for field recordings back when i was kind of doing more avant-garde music-y sort of stuff but uh, that's long gone as well yeah, yeah, sadly. The days of that are, are over. Now mm -hmm. I have a Zoom F1 that I carry around <laughs> and a telephone. And there's a yep. button on my telephone that does yes. that as well. I was actually doing that over the break. I was doing walking and talking and using the uh, Just Press Record app on mm -hmm. my phone with my AirPods and just taking notes as I went. And it does automatic transcription and things like that. I'm like, we're living in the future. Right. It's pretty cool. <laughs> so. I mean, I'm I'm diving into this Google Photos thing. Told you about it last show. Mm -hmm. I'm up to 2006. <laughs> okay. <laughs> only be, only well, I'm up to 2006 and every phone camera picture I've ever taken in my life are up there. Right. Which is pretty cool. And I'm finding all of this stuff that I completely forgot existed. 
And I love turned- I love seeing all the old 640 by 480 photos from the early camera phones. <laughs> oh my god! Well, dude, I've got Casio watch cam pictures <laughs> that are even smaller. They're like you know, I think it may be like 128 by 128, if that. Right. Uh, that thing was cool. That was very spy tech, but man, the pictures were shit. I've got pictures <laughs> of you and Wendy on there, actually. <laughs> if you fun. can actually tell that it's us. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of. She when she, she had red hair, so it's pretty well, easy to tell her. That's true. So I'm going through this stuff, and you know, I'm thinking about my backup strategy and all this crap, and thinking about how much stuff that I've kept over the years. Yes, for the Spartan guy that likes to talk about how he doesn't have much of anything, your digital archive oh, is is massive makes up for everything <laughs> and i i, I can 't remember if I talked about it on the show, but like six months ago, I finally like pulled the trigger might not even been six months, but I pulled the trigger and deleted all of my old source code archives oh dude, I had those on c d roms and I just finally dumped them all in the trash I had them on c d roms then I, I I ripped the c d roms to images and put those on s three for years and then kept them around then then you know thawed the images and pulled the files off and it turns out those old c d roms mm-hmm. there was a problem with the old Mac file system because I mean I was making these c d roms on system eight right you know system eight system nine whatever and there was a problem with the way it cataloged everything. So I'd, I'd all the folders on there, I'd bring the folders over and like half the stuff would be gone. What I'd have to do is go in in the command line and do like a touch blank.txt. And when I did that, it would rebuild the archive of all the actual <laughs> files in the folder. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do this. But I kept everything just in case one day I found an easy way to make it happen. And I finally just said, you know what? I, I, I have a new theory here. I'm just like, okay, I think that and as I've been growing up, I'm thinking, okay, one day I'm going to be famous and somebody's going to care about all this shit. Nope. And so I should have it for posterity. <laughs> Turns out never going to happen. I'm never no. going to be a famous photographer. Nobody's ever going to care about me after I'm dead. And all this stuff is just junk. So, you know, gigabyte, hundreds and hundreds of gigabytes of old movie websites went in the trash Every freelance project I ever worked on went in the trash because it's like, well, who the hell needs a Perl script to turn a website (laughs) red, you know, for a few minutes every hour? That's, you know, the stuff I wrote for Star Trek. And I went and I looked at it again and man, it was terrible code. (laughs) Oh my God, it was terrible. But I mean, I I was building my career off of Learn Perl in 31 days, that book. (laughs) Right. And I only made it to like day 28. So I guess I should have finished it. Yeah, it's funny because you're talking about, you know, going through these archives and things like that and things that get screwed up. That totally reminded me of something. I think about a year ago, I had found an old drive and I was going through it and it had, you know, some client stuff and a bunch of videos that we had taken and things like that. And and the drive kind of crashed and, and I rebuilt it. And when I went back to go look at some of the client videos that we had just to see if there was anything like really funny in there or whatever, mm-hmm. when it rebuilt it, it took... Uh, I also had like my iTunes library because I've had copies of my iTunes library everywhere. The videos were just overlaid with just music pulled from the library through the drive screw up. It's horrible. Oh, wow. <laughs> like I lost all the videos. Like it still said it was a video. And if I tried to play the video, it just start playing a random song from my iTunes library instead of the video. So Whoa, yeah, weird. even with all the, you know, extreme amounts of care that we had taken with trying to keep all of our old digital archives, one crash screws everything up. Oh, totally does. Yeah. And, you know, it's I just thinking about when my grandma, my grandmother had dementia and we had to go clear out her house mm-hmm. and we had boxes and boxes and boxes, all these old Iron City beer boxes. Because my, my grandfather loved Iron City beer. So we always have 
like cases of Iron City around. And we use those boxes for storage in the house. And they were just family photos, like piled seven feet high. Yeah. And when I when I talked to my dad, I'm like, what do you want to do with these things? This is the whole family history. He's like, throw them away. I'm like, what? He's like, everybody that's in those photos or knows who is in those photos is dead. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Nobody cares. And I'm like, it, it just, it kind of broke my heart. I'm like, you know, all of these lives I are just know. gone now. There's, there's a lot of truth to that. And it's sad because I was thinking about going through, my mom has, you know, a, a tanker full of old photos and photo albums. But now that my grandparents are gone, I'm, I don't know who's in half of those photos and my mom yeah. doesn't either. So it's weird. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, you know, you're, you're really dead when there's nobody left to remember you. So, yep. and, and it only and, takes a couple generations. Not even, man. It's yeah, just two. That's yep. really it. So I'm, you know, I'm putting all these photos up on Google thinking, okay, you know, they can just stay there. And, you know, I, I'm putting in my will when they're done, you know, here's, here's a thousand bucks, you know, keep them up there for as long as they can stay and um, make them just completely uh, not, not royalty free, but uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not open source, but public domain, right. make them public domain. You know, if everybody does that, eventually eventually facial recognition will get so good we'll recognize all those old people we didn't know who there was there through cross-referencing of other photos of other people yeah probably <laughs> and because what i'm thinking is you know like just for historical purpose i'm like i was going through and i'm like okay somebody might want to see what it looked like in el paso new mexico from the train in 19 or 2005 it's in el paso in texas huh or yeah texas <laughs> I was thinking of something else in New Mexico. I, I found all these pictures from the train. Remember when I would take the train across the country? Yeah, and I was your, always your taking moves. Yeah, well, that, that was just a vacations. I never moved on the train, but I'd be—I was so fucking bored. <laughs> all I did was sit there with my phone and take pictures out the window. So I've got all of these, you know, geotagged, time-stamped photos that are just going up in Google right now. And it, what made me think of this was, I don't know if you have the Google Photos app on your phone. I do not. There is this amazing feature called Google Lens. And it, I was just trying to figure out how to do one thing. I wanted to tag something. I, I saw a button that I didn't know what it did, and I pressed it. And it was a picture that I took of the Shedd Aquarium. And, like, all these little dots popped up on the photo. And then in, in less than a second, it gave me the entire history of the Shedd Aquarium, the Wikipedia entry, the map, the other people's photos of the Shedd Aquarium. And I'm like, holy shit, let's try this with some other stuff. So I found a picture that I took of this obscure statue that was on display in the Field Museum in Chicago. Did the hit the little button, came up with a whole history of the sculptor, the actual piece, all this crap. I'm like, okay, this is cool. I got to admit, this is really cool because I had none of those pictures geotagged. They were some of them were film scans. And it still was able to pull it up and say, hey, oh, that, that's what you took a picture of. What I particularly love about this is six years of doing this podcast and railing at the evil mega corporation beast that's taking all of our data and forming this giant, massive archive conglomerate of everything that we've ever known ever. And now Jason's just feeding the beast. You know why? Because we have done this show for almost seven years. And one thing that I have come to learn is no matter what I do. No matter how, even if I go to a cabin in the woods, they're still going to get the data. Doesn't Resistance is matter. futile. Resistance is futile. Privacy is dead. Get over it. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe I will just try and figure out ways to use this to my advantage. The tech is really cool. Why not stop fighting it and try and actually get some use out of it instead of really 
just bitching about it all the time. We're still going to bitch about it when they do something dumb, for sure. But I'm like trying to figure out ways to make my life better with all this technology. All and in I all, say, you're just another brick in the wall, Jason. Pretty much. And <laughs> and at the end of the day, nobody gives a shit about me. You know, nobody gives a shit about you. That's a, that is that's the that part. is the one thing that we can hold on to for our privacy in the future is nobody cares. Exactly. You know, we're not criminals. I know the the whole argument, if you're not doing anything wrong, who cares? But it's like, well, actually, I don't care because I'm not doing anything wrong. Let's do something fun with this stuff. Let's figure it out. Because once you buy a cell phone, it's over. If you yes. think you're if you think <laughs> you're going to be private by getting a burner phone, you are sorely mistaken. Because all you have to do is turn that burner phone on once next to your regular phone. They've got a point of cross-reference. They can put you with that burner phone. They know exactly who you are. If you paid with a credit card for that burner phone, they know exactly who you are. If you pay a homeless person to go buy a burner phone with cash... They still know who you are because you are eventually going to screw up and open that phone next to your regular phone or from a location that you're normally at. And they probably Period. got you on a security cam giving the homeless man the cash and him handing the phone over to you. You're just not exactly. that smart. Yes, while you're standing outside the Safeway wiping man poo off your shoe and the homeless guy's inside picking up the phone. Yeah, there, there's, no, there's no escape. So I'm like, okay. Let's give in and let's have some fun with it. And I am enjoying my Google Photos experience so far. I'm finding stuff that I completely forgot existed. And I'm also realizing how bad memory is and how useless memory is. Because I'm finding videos of things that I've done in here with friends that I've, you know, these are things that we've all talked about. We've done together. We have videos of all of us remember everything completely differently. And yep. then I pull up the video and send it around and they're like, I don't remember it being like that. And I'm like, neither do I. <laughs> Getting old is weird, man. That's all I got to say. All right. You had a lot of coffee this morning, didn't you? No, I've just been thinking about this a lot. I didn't sleep well last <laughs> night. And it's all I, I, I was just up all night, my mind racing. So I need to get it out before I forget it because I'm going to forget and then I'll never remember it again. Yeah. And then we'll go back and listen to this episode. And we'll both remember this conversation completely differently. Well, you will. I won't remember the conversation at all. In the news. Facebook's back in the news again, mm -hmm. of yep. course. Um, no, they're not going to ban political ads. That's it. They're done. Well, that, is that news? Because that's what they've just kept saying for months now. So we know that. Yeah, I know. Uh, they, okay. they had to, you know, they had to go in front of uh, politicians this week, and they're just like, yeah. You know, we're going to give you a little bit more transparency in here, and we're going to do a little of this. We're going to do a little of that, which we know they're never going to do. So it's like they're just doubling down on being assholes. That's yeah. what it has come to this week. That's all the news that I've seen about Facebook for the most part, except one, the next story I've got. Um, it's just them being assholes, and they're, gonna, they're sticking to their guns on it. Yeah, which you almost kind of got to respect a little bit, even though I completely and utterly disagree with it. But as we've talked about many times, it's – how are they going to enforce it even if they tried to change it? That's the real problem. I, I think if it were, if there were a simple solution, I think Facebook probably would step up and do the right thing right now just because they know that there's so much bad press. The problem is there is no simple solution. The solution is hiring hundreds of thousands of people and basically you know, spending all the monies that they make to try to police their own gargantuan system. And I don't think they want to do it because they don't you know want what? to because if you there's there's no upside to doing it because you will screw up and when you screw up you're fucked and also they have a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders and that and the shareholders just want the monies if you look at the landscape everybody is pulling political ads right mm -hmm. 
if Facebook is the only place that you can go to put yep. your political ads, ka-ching. <laughs> so they are going to make bank on this while still screwing up democracy and the country. So yay, Facebook. Way to keep going. I love this article that I have here and here from TechCrunch. At the very end, it says, it is, to quote Sasha Baron Cohen, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but yep. it's what we got. And just another Facebook story real quick. Uh, did you hear about the Teen Vogue incident this week? I did, but then I saw that you put it in the show notes, so I didn't bother reading about it because okay. I don't care about Facebook or Teen Vogue. <laughs> Teen Vogue, actually, we've covered Teen Vogue on the show before. They've got some great journalists over there now, believe it or not. Yes. I mean, I, it was like four years ago, five years ago. We're just like, this story comes from, oh, wait, 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 what? Teen Vogue? Teen Vogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a really good story. So uh turns out that Facebook had an article published in Teen Vogue called How Facebook is Helping Ensure the Integrity of the 2020 Election. Mm -hmm. There's a 2,000-word Q&A session with five women working at Facebook and how they're protecting uh, protecting us from election interference. Well, uh, and of course, Sheryl Sandberg said, it's a great piece. Well, it turns out it wasn't really a piece of journalism. It was sponsored content. A.K.A. And an ad. Sponcon. It was <laughs> Sponcon. And uh, it wasn't labeled as such. And then everything kind of went to shit and nobody really had had a had an answer for a while. And then it finally all came out. And they're like, yes, we paid for it. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, there goes uh, Teen Vogue's shining star. Yeah. And it's funny. Somebody asked uh, the Teen Vogue's Twitter account, like, what is this? And somebody at the, at the magazine responded, literally, IDK. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I've got some uh, fun news from the world of the internet as well. Uh, seems the pink slips uh, moved and shifted one month this year. Not everybody got fired in December, but uh, a lot of people are getting fired now in January. Progress! Including almost everyone at College Humor. Yeah, layoffs have come for another online still around. comedy outlet. Yeah, you know, they're there. Uh, they've managed to survive on the internet despite challenges for almost 20 years, but they are no longer. Multiple sources have confirmed that College Humor was hit with a big round of layoffs today. Um, about 100 employees in New York and Los Angeles have lost their jobs, uh, which is around 5 to 10 people will remain at the company as it restructures, meaning Holy eventually shit. goes away and dies. Here's 100 new podcasters that just flooded the market. Great. <laughs> that is probably true. Can you believe College Humor's 20 years old? Uh, no. God, I feel old. That means the people that started College Humor when they were in college at the time are now getting ready Retire. to re <laughs> reap their retirement benefits. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's Maybe that's what this was. They didn't want to have to you know, pay the pension out. So they're just like, get out. Maybe. Get out. Get out. Well, and another round of layoffs have occurred at over at Lime, one of the scooter companies. So in an ongoing quest to become profitable, <laughs> <laughs> Lime says it will exit 12 markets across the globe in the U.S. This includes Atlanta, Phoenix, San Diego, and San Antonio, as well as a bunch of international locations that they are pulling out of because, you know. Sadly, not yeah. Los Angeles people. No, sadly, not Los Angeles. Uh, according to Axios, Lime is also laying off about 100 employees, which amounts to approximately 14% of their workforce. So this is all tweaks and restructurings to help their bottom line. And so they can become sustainable this year. We are confident that in 2020, Lime will be the first next generation mobility company to be profitable, Lime President <laughs> Joe Krause said. So uh, yeah, if you can't make money, cut expenses. I don't think that that's going to help them much. Well, Twitter did it, and it made him look good on paper. Yeah, well, there's looking good on paper, and there's 
actually being good. <laughs> yeah, there, there are different there's, there's things. There's always that, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of that, Uber is making changes in California to brace for the new gig worker law that has passed. Uh, the company sent out an email to over 150,000 drivers and millions of passengers. Did you get this email, Jason? I did not. Oh, I did. You may not be registered as Californian in their books then, perhaps. Uh, so things that are changing, no more upfront pricing for trips other than Uber Pool. Uber will now show passengers in California a range of prices, just what we wanted. The final price will be calculated at the end of the trip, so you have no longer have any idea how much this is going to cost you. Uh, passengers will be able to add drivers to a favorites list, and the company will eliminate some Uber rewards benefits like price protection on a route and flexible cancellations. Drivers will reportedly see more info, including trip time, distance, destination, and estimated fare, and they'll be able to reject ride requests without penalties now. Theoretically, giving drivers more control and being more transparent about fares may better prepare Uber for the repercussions of AB5, but critics are noting that the changes could also cause drivers to reject shorter trips or refuse trips to certain neighborhoods, potentially leading to discrimination against lower-income areas. Awesome. The law of unintended consequences. Exactly. And that would totally screw me because the only times I ever really ever used Uber was when I was at a bar and too drunk to even walk home. And it was a five minute walk and I would take Uber and they would definitely reject, <laughs> reject me for those rides now. So that was good stuff. And uh, Grubhub is having some problem as well. It could be up for sale, according to the Wall Street Journal. Whether or not that sale actually happens, this is highlighting that Grubhub and its competitors are unsurprisingly, struggling to compete over who brings you food from restaurants because this is such a low-margin business where they make money from charging customers delivery and other service fees and from revenue shares with restaurants. And to sign up some of these bigger restaurant chains, such as McDonald's, food delivery services have had to lower their commissions, making those margins even smaller. So good times. And of course, they're playing the game. There can be only one, and they're all lowering their fees for customers by trying to lock people in. But what they're discovering and I love the way that Grubhub CEO decided to uh, to basically point out this truth. We believe online diners are becoming more promiscuous. Okay. <laughs> Meaning there's no loyalty to any of these. Why should there be? Because it's yeah. what they always do. They get you in with low prices, and all of a sudden the price gets jacked up. So then you move over to a different company that's offering lower prices. Duh. Yeah. Your, your, your own business model is biting you in your ass. <laughs> Well, I mean, I go with the one that actually goes to the restaurants that I eat at. So. Right. But now they're basically, you know, it's, I don't know about you, but anytime I actually go out to eat in a restaurant, I see like five iPads for every delivery. Oh, service. yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're all on every one of them now. No. And so we've, I've talked about DoorDash on the show before and how I had mm -hmm. such a miserable experience. My food came upside down and cold. Yes. Well, uh, my roommate and I were both injured. Uh, about two weeks ago, and we couldn't actually leave and go get groceries and stuff. I'm like, okay, let's get some Paquito Moss. I'm hungry for Mexican. Ooh, it's like, Paquito Moss. dude, I love just, Paquito Moss. Just you wait. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, let's just, let's just bite the bullet. Let's see who delivers for Paquito Moss. I'm like, ah, shit, it's DoorDash. But I signed up, placed my order, came back, got it within, you know, 20 minutes because it, it, it's less than a mile away from here which is fantastic. So the food got here, wasn't upside down, totally hot. Order was perfect. Tipped the guy on the app. Everybody was nice. The guy was cool. Got my food. Fantastic dinner. And I'm like, oh, shit, maybe they fixed it. But let's try it again. <laughs> and so I ordered a Philly cheesesteak from a place like down the road. 
and I'm watching the driver come. Driver turns off, basically probably goes home, takes a dump. Uh, and then about, you know, 30 minutes after they left the Philly cheesesteak place, I get my food. It's cold. It's rubbery. I'm like, ah, this is the DoorDash I remember. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, one stars all around for that one. Then, you know, I'm like, okay. Paquito Moss worked. Let's stick with Paquito Moss. We have eaten at Paquito Moss five times in the past two weeks. You know what, though? I, I would be <laughs> terrified to order from a service again once I'd given it a one-star rating. I think that just means that the next time you get your Paquito Moss, it's going to be butt floss first. No, but I didn't give Paquito Moss a one-star. I gave the Philly Cheesesteak Place a one-star. I the mean food. the DoorDash delivery type people. Oh, well, uh, the DoorDash deliverer was, you know, just a stupid little fat girl from college who was just like literally had food on her shirt and didn't care about what she was doing. All of the other delivery drivers I had were very professional, very nice and uh, whatever. I think this was I think this was a shitty driver. Right. So, uh but I then I ordered and here here was the test. The big test of DoorDash. I ordered sushi. Ooh. I we ordered sushi You're a brave for man. <laughs> Well, here's the other thing. We don't order outside of a two-mile circle. <laughs> so it's perfect. Came perfect. I even put in the notes, you must have at least six cups of wasabi with this order. This is extremely important. <laughs> and the guy shows up. He's like, hey, man, I got your wasabi. And I'm like, okay, you win, DoorDash. <laughs> you win. And, you know, it's usually three bucks a delivery. For these things and to go to your point about how they're lowering the prices and to keep you using the service mm -hmm. doordash has a has a system where you can just pay 9.99 a month and all the delivery fees go away yeah also i discovered that if you are a chase credit card holder you can get that waived for free oh nice and I apparently you can get one. between three months or or a year of no doordash fees depending on what type of card you have so you might want to google that if you have a chase card out there Oh, yeah, I don't. But uh, so I just pay the 10 bucks. And so after three deliveries, it's like, you know, OK, I'm just paying for the food and a tip. I'm like, OK, I'm down with that. <laughs> I'm totally down with that. So, yes, I'm sure it will help their bottom line. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, OK, at I have to order at least four times to get my $10 worth, which means I'm going to use it more often, which means I'm going to be eating in more often. <laughs> but tell you what, man, Paquito Moss. Oh, Jesus. They closed the only one around me. I think the only way I could get it now is DoorDash, and it would show up thirty minutes later. So I'm, I don't even want to think about it. No, yeah, that was the. Remember, we had the taco. We talked about this with food delivery. There's the Taco Bell problem. You can't get Taco Bell from a delivery service. It's just not going to work. But you know, a nice Mexican restaurant, it still <laughs> works pretty well. Yep. Oh, uh, so you're you're moving to Toronto. I am. Mm -hmm. All right. Well. Sidewalk Labs is launching a recycling pilot with a company of theirs called AMP Robotics. Yes. So the Toronto municipal government is targeting a 70% reduction in the amount of recyclables and organics that are going into landfills or waste disposal by 2026. Mm -hmm. So six years, in six years, they want to have a 70% reduction in this. Yes. Fairly Herculean task, you might say. Not really. I know where you're going with this. Okay. <laughs> Well, they're going to be going after apartment buildings because yes. apparently in apartment buildings, everybody just shoves it all together and nobody cares. There's no accountability for your recyclables in an apartment building. And the downtown Toronto core is 98% uh, condos and apartments and co-ops. Uh, there's not a lot of single family residences in downtown core. So this actually might make a big difference. Okay. Now, here's what gets me about this. <laughs> They're going to be tracking you. 
For that I'm not thrilled by. <laughs> they are going to be publicly, or not publicly, but they will be shaming you if you are not putting your thing in the right bin. And do you really want the garbage company sitting there and saying, like, looking through your garbage, figuring out what you've done and what you haven't done? It's like I do it's, believe that they're going to attempt to basically do it to the actual full apartment units. If you hit over a certain amount, uh, then they, they will tell the apartment owners and that will be passed down through HOAs and things of that nature that uh, you, we aren't doing a good enough job here, people. So let's all it's not going to be individual. However, having said that, we know that. You know, there is no such thing as anonymization of data. So they would be able to dial down, I'm sure, if they chose to. And they may do that in the future, which is kind of frightening. You know, but hey, trash is trash. Once you throw it in your bin, it's it's uh, it's public domain, isn't it? That's true, I guess. Um, I it is. It certainly is in Santa Monica, because as soon as I throw something in my trash, somebody else has come along and taken it. <laughs> Sidewalk is also aware of the privacy concerns that could arise from having the trash monitored by its portfolio company. So in concert with the city, the company created, remember, the company created a responsible data use assessment process and is assuring residents that any data collected will be de-identified and aggregated, only focusing on the types of waste that's being thrown out. Right. Can you de-anonymize your your egg carton? (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. How are you going to de-anonymize all the Amazon boxes that have my name and address printed on it? <laughs> exactly. The non-personal <laughs> aggregate data about the waste recorded by the Materials Recovery Facility and AMP will be shared with Sidewalk Labs, residents in the buildings and building owners, the company said. Once the pilot is complete, Sidewalk Labs will share a report to the public using the same aggregate and non-identifying data. Right. Well, overall, I think it's a great idea. Obviously, there are privacy concerns, but as you always point out, Jason, there's no more privacy. Get over it. (laughs) That's true. That that is true. (laughs) And it won't really matter to me. I am not going to be getting a condo. We will be getting a single home house. Fancy pants. Well, you know, I'm old. I deserve it. (laughs) I do too, but I can't afford it. And in more Uber news, Uber is adding L.A. to flying taxi test cities. Demo flights are slated for this year, 2020. Yes, specifically, it's signed an agreement to work with the federal government agency over the development of unmanned traffic management at low altitude, which makes a change from being investigated by federal agencies. Oh, no, it doesn't, because both are happening at the same time. Mr. Author Guy. They're still being investigated. <laughs> uh, they just made a deal with NASA. So NASA is already working with several other companies to develop traffic management for low-altitude vehicles, including for drones. Uh, the goal is to have a flying taxi service up and running in Los Angeles before the 2028 Olympics. And they've also released a concept video showing an Uber user getting an elevator to a skyport and then taking a flying taxi across the city. Now, Jason, what did we talk about last episode? Something about a list of things that are always going to be 10 years away? Yep. This is on it. Yeah. This is always <laughs> going to be 10 years away. There's no way this is happening anytime soon. I don't trust anybody, especially in the city of Los Angeles, having come back in and seeing their Uber and taxi system that they're using now at LAX, which is a goddamn fucking nightmare. There's no way any of this is going to happen anytime soon. And even the author knows this because, as the author points out near the end of the article, this is basically just another Uber PR stunt trying to get people to look at something cool instead of thinking about all the crappy scandals they're involved in. <laughs> That's true. That's <laughs> true. And you know what? You know, we have what we have a lot of in Los Angeles are guns. So, it doesn't take doesn't take that many beers to go outside and shoot down a taxi. Yeah, well, I mean, not even shooting down. We've got a lot of laser pointers and we are having problems with those with airlines at the moment. You think that's not going to be a problem with these? 
<laughs> or just fly your drone in front of a taxi, you know, kamikaze oh a taxi. There's just so many ways to take a tax <laughs> an aircraft down. It's ridiculous. Yes. And and my last article that I had for news here was over at the Wall Street Journal. I want to put a button on this one and I want to come back and revisit this in our last episode of the year. This is Tech Will Change Your Life in 2020. Let's see. What do we got? Let's here? see. We got 5G. That's going to change our life. Hearables are going to change our life. Uh, iPhone excitement returns because the next iPhone is supposed to be really, really cool. Um, nice day for a wireless wedding. I'm not entirely sure. With Oh, this is mergers for wireless companies and how that's going to change our life. Yeah, but they don't point out if it's for the better or not because I don't necessarily think that's going to be better. Uh, all the different streaming things that are coming this year. Uh, unicorns on the endangered list, meaning all these crappy companies that are <laughs> finally you know good on paper isn't good enough anymore for a lot of these companies uh people looking into amazon and all its shady businesses china rising uh gig workers uniting the election so we shall see i want to uh save this in a little file somewhere and come december let's see how all these things actually did all right set a reminder security ha! We're joined again this week by Dave Bittner. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. By Dave, Dave Dirty Joke Bittner. <laughs> Dave Dirty Joke Bittner. Dave, Dave the, the Joke Man the, Bittner. <laughs> Dave is the host of the CyberWire podcast and many a filthy joke that we can't air. <laughs> Dave is also co-host of the social engineering podcast, Hacking Humans with Joe Kerrigan, as well as the co-host of Caveat with Ben Yellen, where they discuss law and policy, as well as surveillance and privacy. And absolutely and probably, nothing we discuss <laughs> yeah. before we hit record. No. <laughs> And she said, I was talking to the duck. <laughs> oh, hi, guys. Nice Hello. To hi, welcome back. Brian, welcome back. Before we Thank get you. started, what did you think of Star Wars? Uh, I listened to your discussion about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the fact that you came prepared with bullet points. Um, Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> I do agree with with most of your points. There were glaringly obvious, I mean, glaring plot holes. So many questions. Um, nothing as big as oh, we can just hit hyperspace with our vehicle and blow things up. Right. Uh, but lots of little ones that added up to that. But then, as I left the theater, uh, slightly, you know, I'm feeling it's not the Star Wars movie I wanted, but it's the Star Wars movie we have. Mm. Um, I reminded myself these movies are for kids, not. Mm middle-aged adults who have been slavering over these things and reading books that are no longer canon for 30 plus years and have <laughs> opinions and thoughts about the actual mechanics and how the force actually works these are kids movies and as such it was a fitting and welcome wrap up to the entire series all right fair enough when i remind myself of that mm -hmm. when i think about it as a rational adult i'm still quite angry <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't have any anger, so I, I'm not angry. It was fine. It was totally fine. There there, you know, a lot was left hanging, but of course things that's the way yeah. of things now. Um, you know, you can point at any series and say the same thing at this point. I, you know, Avengers did not answer every question. Star Wars did not answer every question. It is what it is. Yep. Yep. All right. After a week to chew on this, I have come back with my or my verdict and it is just utter crap. It is just a crap movie. Jason, Sorry, guys. It's Jason is movie. unable to tap into his childhood delight. That is my theory here. Yes. The, the, <laughs> yeah. The weight of the world I, has crushed his spirit. Yes. <laughs> yes. But I also didn't hate the Battlestar Galactica finale as much as you did. The so. tagline of the show was, they have a plan. What do we find <laughs> out in the last episode? There's no fucking plan. 
Well, well gee, so, guys, anyways. I haven't, I haven't <laughs> watched it yet, and I guess I don't have to now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can watch everything up to the final episode. It is a wonderful series. In fact, I would consider it to be one of the best sci-fi series of all time until the final episode. Okay. But they did cover it in, in one of the extra movies. Later. Yes, they, they had said- to quickly put together another miniseries because everybody was so pissed off. Mm. <laughs> well, here's the thing. They said, we had a plan. Then it didn't work, so we didn't have a plan after that. That's that's the whole wrap up. If you've ever, if there was a, ever a definition of retcon, it was that miniseries. <laughs> oh, okay. Hmm. Anyways, let's move well, on to technology. Yeah, uh, a little bit. Well, I do have one thing. Oh, yeah. uh, have you guys seen the Mandalorian spaghetti western trailer that I put in the notes yet? Yes, I like. I want them to go back and redo <laughs> the entire series as as this. Yeah, I it mean, is so it that good. far off? I guess they could just replace the music and put that put filter, filter on over it. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would that would just about do it because stylistically, they're they're yeah. pretty much on track there. Yeah. Well, Agreed. we know that from that crappy movie that we just watched that they have space horses, so I guess they can have space coyotes howling in the background too. Mm-hmm. So Why are you surprised there fine. are space horses, Jason? There are millions of planets in this galaxy. Space horses, come on. I'm just saying, lots of planets. Mm -hmm. You got you got no problem with little green man, but you're pissed off about space horses. But you're gonna go you're gonna go attack a spaceship and you bring your horse with you? Come on! They knew they could. Who takes a horse to a space battle? Well, like I said, there's lots of plot holes. (laughs) You you fight the war with the army you got. All right. So we remember back in 2017, what happened with Strava and uh, it published a bunch of maps and, you know, it's anonymized data sourcing and all that, which of course enabled people to find secret military bases because military people were using it. Oopsies. That happened. Uh, It's kind of happening again. Uh, The U.S. has banned Strava since that happened. You're not allowed to use it on military bases. Uh, They are now banning TikTok. And we're not entirely sure why. This could just be a we don't want this to happen to us again preventative act because uh, we don't know exactly what's going on with TikTok. We do know location data is often posted and the same thing can sort of be be done. Um, there is worry that, of course, even though TikTok and its uh, parent company ByteDance says that, uh, oh, no, 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 none of our servers are in China and we do not give our data to China. Um, there is some evidence, according to the U.S. government, that, yes, the app is sending data back to China. So... Good move, bad move. How the hell is the government going to stay on top of this sort of thing as apps come out? Do they have to hire millennials and Gen Z people just to tell them what's cool and hip these days and look into it and ban things as as we move along? Or should we just have a blanket thing saying, you're in the damn military, you're on the base, turn your damn phone off? Yeah, I saw a thing with this uh, recent deployment to Iran that a bunch of folks were sent on, Mm -hmm. um, thanks to everything that's going on over there, that they had to leave their phones home. Yeah, they well, not you know, to take them with them. I can't go in to see a concert now without putting my phone in a bag that's kept, uh, you know, securely behind. And and why not? Why shouldn't the military have to do the same thing? Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me that they that they give them the amount of freedom that they do with the mobile devices. And I guess part of it is it's a big morale thing mm-hmm. where it's a way for people to feel connected to home. So that's a good thing. So you got to balance that against the risk of. Everything we know that these devices can do and and do do, so yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if they're using the base Wi-Fi, which I'm guessing they're having to, because they're probably not getting you know 
uh, Iran TNT over there. <laughs> so they uh, they can just put IP blocks on on the services that they don't want the soldiers to have access to. It's like, okay, what what are the servers that TikTok uses? Okay, let's just put a block list in for those so they can't even get to it if they wanted to. I'm mm-hmm. sure that works in controlled environments like when they're overseas on these bases. But the, the part of the concern is here at home. Well, and I mean, imagine I, I'm just, you know, talking out of my butt here, which is what I do best. But um, <laughs> somebody drives by a base with a Stingray device and starts imitating a cell phone tower and everybody's phones start reaching out to it and thinking that they're going to, you know, get self-service. Mm-hmm. There's those kinds of concerns, Bluetooth, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, well, hopefully that stuff's encrypted, fingers crossed. Like Somehow. Good stuff. <laughs> I'm thinking no. <laughs> as as we've learned on this show after seven years, yes. Yes. <laughs> where, where things should be generally is where they're if not. If you're going to err on one side or the other. Yeah. Go with yeah. stupidity. So, yeah, that's happening. Uh, also, news came out this week that uh, Amazon has now fired, well, I guess Ring, but is there any difference between the companies anymore? None. So they fired employees for improperly accessing Ring's user video data, according to a letter the company wrote to senators and obtained by motherboard. So, yes, people with God access used it to do ungodly sorts of things. Uh, Are you saying that young programmers are inquisitive and would like to uh, (laughs) stretch (laughs) stretch their mind and knowledge and see what other people are doing? Yes, I suppose. I'm a little actually surprised at uh, what they're saying the count is, which is over the last four years, Ring has only received four complaints or inquiries regarding a team member's access to Ring video data, which uh, I just assume that there's an awful lot of this is unreported and hasn't been figured out. So one per year. The crappy programmers are the ones that got caught. Yeah. That's how it is. The guys who wrote the system know how to erase their tracks. Yes. Well, and would there be any practical way for them to have the videos be, you know, encrypted when they're at rest and, and, you know, limit the access that way. That would probably be a good idea. I, I mean, but, they may yeah, very again, well be doing we, that. Yeah. I, I doubt it, but I, I doubt they are because, you know, but uh, they might. Uh, yeah. Uh, right now they're saying, of course, they've taken steps to limit data access to a smaller number of people. It says right now that only three employees can currently access stored customer videos. I do wonder why any employee can access it at any time shouldn't there be a reason to do so right. well, customer service well yeah if, if yes if i request it then you know can't we have like a old style nuclear bunker key situation here where like three people have to switch their keys at once and now you can get in there and look at my private data not a bad idea <laughs> well grumpy old geeks is a graveyard of good ideas so <laughs> Ooh, show title yeah. <laughs> graveyard of good ideas <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I was thinking three employees are, are, have access to this and one of them is a custodian. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, we, we know that, you know, restricting access to these things is a good idea, but nobody tends to do it. And, you know, you have to have, I think you have to have manager approval to look up somebody's data. It's like, Hey, you know, check out on aisle three. I need to, I need to refund somebody's lettuce requires somebody to walk over with a key. If you have to look at somebody's data from their home and inside well, their house, you should actually have to have somebody come over and say, okay, I, I approve look at this it, process. Look at it from this angle too, which I, I just occurred to me because I've been dealing with some customer service things on, on various fronts. Look at it from, if you're a customer trying to get access to your own data with companies, 
they put you through so many hoops. What's your phone number? We need to send you a text. You can send a code back. What's your social security number? What's your mother's maiden name? There are so many steps to be able to access our own information with companies, but internally within a company, it seems to be a fucking free-for-all. Well, we trust the people who work for us. That's why we have <laughs> insider threats. Right. Yeah. It would be nice if I get a text message saying, Joe from Ring would like to access your personal data. Would you like to approve this? Enter code, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. Or give Joe this code. It's mm -hmm. like a, you know. Let's go ahead and make uh, a headstone for that idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Two-factor auth where the client is actually looped in or the customer's looped in. Yeah. <laughs> but I could yeah, imagine that. On. I mean, it's, we're, that would work great for an actual customer service engagement where I'm on the line with them and they say, okay, I'm shooting you an approval notice uh, if, if for me to be able to look at the, the files we're talking about here. You need to give me the okay. And th that would be a great interaction with any co any company. If it yes, that, it would. Yeah. Another, would another one of my million dollar ideas that will never come <laughs> to fruition. Well, the problem is it'll, they'll say the companies will say it'll cost a million dollars to implement. Therefore, we can't do that. Right. Yep. It'll slow things yeah. down. Customers mm -hmm. will resist. Yeah. Yeah. So my next story here is it's it's not really security on the front end, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about it here. Uh, Delta is going to uh, pilot program a new display in the Detroit airport called Parallel Reality. Detroit's nice. Uh, <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. You actually want to stay here <laughs> instead of leave. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so this new technology allows multiple people to look at the same display and see different things, which well, is cool. It is very minority report. As we were discussing that. earlier in the show about memory, we do that already. Yeah, well, but even just, well, how thing. about the three of us having watched Star Wars? Yes, we yeah. all saw a different reality. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so the thing about this is, is it has to you ha you sign in at the gate. You give you know you got your boarding pass. You swipe your boarding pass, and from there on in, it gives you a customized view at any of these displays, telling you when your flight is leaving. You don't have to see all the other flights. You just look at it, and it's like, oh, your flight's on time. Your flight's delayed. Oh, bonus, you've been upgraded or you've been downgraded, which is what they don't want to say in the press release. But it can do, you know, multiple people. The thing about it is. Um, How are they identifying you? Exactly. Okay. I'm guessing you scan your boarding pass and you scan your face because that's about the only way that these things are going to be able to look at you and figure out where you're at and use the angle of the TV to see where you're at and show you your specific information because it's got to use some kind of like solarization technique to be able to have like multiple displays at the same time showing different info to different people at different angles. I've got to say there's going to be yeah. so many false positives on this. It's ridiculous. I, I travel. I, I used to travel an awful lot. I still travel fairly extensively. Uh, I'm part of the um, what's that program that you uh, TSA oh pre-check, uh, pre-check, and also the international Nexus, Nexus okay. International. So they have retina scans of me, and when I when I cross the border, I go up to a machine, and it does scans my eyeballs and says, "Okay, that's you," and you get a little pass so you can walk through really quickly. Uh, that thing is so finicky. Uh, people spend five, ten minutes, you know, move forward, move back, move your eyes over here, move your eyes <laughs> over there. I, I can't imagine that the technology has increased so much that it's going to be in amazingly accurate easily. Well, they're saying, you know, this has new processor architectures, new computer vision algorithms, and new applied manufacturing processes. So I, it has to be facial recognition. Now, what happens if 
there's a short person in front of you that's going on the flight. You're mm-hmm. standing directly behind them, but you're taller. So you have two faces in the same, you know, actual line of sight of the device. Well, How is it going to do that? From what we know and from 70s technology shows, it starts to smoke and rock back and forth a little <laughs> bit, and then it explodes. Uh, yes, as, as it cries out in Danger. pain, the blue Danger. screen of death comes up. <laughs> And also, so, I, well, when I was reading this, I was thinking, who asked for this? Why not just give me this information on my phone? Yeah. Most <laughs> most airlines, answer, you yeah. can <laughs> sign up for that and you get that. There's also fucking screens everywhere in the airport. But they yeah. want to make it personalized, Brian, because Delta cares about you. Delta could actually suck it and spend the money <laughs> on making bigger seats for all of us and a little bit more fucking legroom. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But... uh I don't know. I, when was the last time anybody here flew Delta? Like I just the always... 70s is the last time. Every I time I hear Delta. it, I always think about the George Carlin joke. TWA stands for travel with Arabs and Delta stands for don't even let them aboard. <laughs> okay. Don't remember that one, but I miss George Carlin. Not as PC as... Well, it was never PC, but, you know, it was Carlin. Yeah. So, But here's the other thing that I love. The name of the company that built the display is called Misapplied Sciences. Sounds mm. about right. Does exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so this is just another way for them to scan your face and try and do something that's probably not going to work. This Look, is another uh, one of those 10 years out things. Yeah, this is always going to be 10 years away. Uh, but it, it is very minority report. I got to give them that. Because, <laughs> you know, once once you can see your, your, your flight details... You know, you're going to have a customized ad right under that well, for whatever restaurant that you like That's the best. it. It's uh, not yeah. just going to be flight ding, ding, details. Ding, 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 it's going to be ding, ding, upsells. Ding. Now, you know, yep. I see that there is a tall person standing behind you. Would you like to opt for the larger, uh, you know, premium economy experience so you will not be dis- – <laughs> he won't bother you the whole flight or whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Right. I, it's interesting technology. I'd, I'm curious how the actual technology works. I've seen – I remember a few years ago at uh, – when I used to go to the NAB convention, which is the broadcaster show, they had some folks had um, some 3D televisions that didn't require glasses, mm-hmm. you know, and it was some kind of some. I believe that it's called lenticular, you know, the thing like the. Yeah. Remember, used to have book boxes. Yeah, I remember I used to have books that had that like thick sort of ripply plastic on it, and you yeah. see things yeah. in 3D. Yeah, that's lenticular. So. Um, oh, yeah, I figured it had to be something similar to that. Yeah. Right, some sort of dynamic lenticular process. And now we have them all in our homes. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, no. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. My friend had a 3D TV in his basement, and we went down, he had rumble seats, and you know, we had put on the glasses, and we watched uh, Jurassic Park in it. And I got to say, it was really cool for like the first 15 minutes. <laughs> and then I think as a group, we all got a headache at the same time. Huh. Yeah, those things, man, they're they, they're headache boxes, oh, those 3D TVs. Well, and I never opt to see the 3D version of a movie in a theater anymore. Oh, me oh, either. Oh, hell no. Never. Yeah. 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 Last one I saw, I think, was Avatar, and we saw it in IMAX, and we were in the front row, bottom left. 3D doesn't work when you're that close. Mm. I got to tell you, it, it. we all walked out of there needing some uh, Excedrin. I think I saw one of the Hobbit movies a little bit more recently than than avatar in 3d and i just remember i don't really need to see the spear come at me every single time it's not adding <laughs> to my experience of the movie at all <laughs> yeah the first 3d movie i saw was jaws 3d oh, classic yeah it was a classic it was terrible another <laughs> headache box but f- uh, i think mm. we all had headaches from avatar just because of the plot but the first 3d movie i ever saw was creature from the black lagoon 
Oh. I didn't know they made that in 3D. That was a 3D movie, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I Clint saw Captain EO all the time because I was Disneyland local. Yeah. Did you get, what did you think about my comment about uh, the Emperor's support mechanism being right out of Captain EO? I, I think you've actually ruined the movie for me and I will not be able to watch it again without <laughs> thinking about that. <laughs> but I'm right, right? I mean, oh, it's, yeah. You're it's, 100% right. Yes. Yes. Now I'm going to expect Palpatine to break out into song. Right. <laughs> we are here. And Ray's going to gonna moonwalk. The world. Yeah. <laughs> Kids, uh, if you haven't seen Captain EO, don't. Oh, Captain I like Captain EO. I think it's Captain one of those EO. things where we were of the right age to appreciate it's, it. It's of its time, yes. <laughs> yes. It's of its time. Anyway. All right. Something something else <laughs> that was of its time and will soon be going away in Illinois are red light cameras. Okay. We've talked at length uh, about red light cameras. Have you covered any of this on the show, Dave, with the uh, the uh, mm. the safe speed investigation with corruption going on? No, I have not. No. Oh, well, there's a, apparently an ongoing federal corruption investigation about safe speed, mm. <laughs> the company that puts out these red light cameras. But the comptroller, it was the comptroller. Um, yeah, the comptroller in Illinois, Susan Susanna Mendoza. They have given her the task for the past several years of getting people to pay their red light tickets by taking it out of their tax returns. Oh, that makes her popular. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no more. No more. She's she's not going to do it. She says the comptroller's office isn't going to be in the business of helping a program that's broken and morally corrupt. They should revisit their programs entirely. I don't think it's good public policy, and I think it's time it ends. All right. So you must be running for president. <laughs> the problem here isn't actually with the technology in and of itself. It's with the horrible company that is implementing the technology. Well, no, the technology has been shown to cause more accidents in in most environments because people react differently when they see a camera. They slam on the brakes when they're coming to a stoplight if it turns yellow, causing tons of rear enders. Mm-hmm. That that is a that is a proven fact. You can look that one up. It causes accidents, which is not something you want from a company called Safe Speed. <laughs> but uh, the the whole thing is just fundamentally flawed. False positives, and it's just a mess. And they need to go away. So I think I'm I have a solution for all of this, Jason. For everything that we tend to talk about in this segment, we just need to get rid of all cameras. <laughs> All cameras. All of them. Or or (laughs) everybody has a self-driving car or a flying taxi or a bird. (laughs) That's an interesting thing to think about. What would a world without cameras be like? What would be different? That would... mm, I'm going to be thinking about that now. No more Snapchat filters. Weaponized pencils and paper. Right. All the courtroom artists are are suddenly in high demand. Rule the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can't draw, you're an outcast. (laughs) Fake sketch, fake sketch. <laughs> right, right. Deep draw. I, uh, I am not a fan of red light cameras. I, as I've said, I think here many times. I think, I, I think it's uh, it's wrong to have a crime be a different crime depending on whether a human being witnesses it or a machine witnesses it. It's either a moving violation or it's not. And so I have I have a problem with automated law enforcement. I find it just creepy. Yeah, so I'm you really so you don't go back and watch RoboCop every year. Oh, I love RoboCop. That's different. <laughs> oh, because there was an actual brain inside. <laughs> yeah, please put down your weapon. You have five seconds to comply. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's all I got this week. All right, that well, was enough. more movies than security. Excellent. 
Yeah, we're heading in the right direction, gentlemen. Woo-hoo. Oh, man. <laughs> I should have put in my uh, my Airwolf versus Blue Thunder link in this segment. Uh, yeah, I was reading about that. Uh, yeah, maybe, next, we'll, maybe we'll touch on that next week. All right. If you want to hear my thoughts on Blue Thunder, go to doesithavelegs.com and you can hear all about it. <laughs> Ups and doodads. I thought I'd run quickly through some of the presents I got for Christmas, which fall under cool apps and doodads, and these are the things that so far I actually kind of like. First up, and I looked them all up on Amazon. I'm not sure where the people that got them for me got them from, but they're all on Amazon, as is everything. The Trivando Money Clip Wallet Rio Men's Wallet Slim Front Pocket RFID Blocking Card Holder Minimalist Mini Bifold Gift Box. I could care right. less about the RFID blocking bit, but this is comfy and it's a nice front. I always like my wallet in my front pocket. It's a great front pocket wallet and it's kind of snazzy looking. So I hate the comparison photo in on Amazon because they're showing it next to a big fat wallet. I'm like, you didn't take everything that was in that wallet and put it in that other wallet. <laughs> well, no. The one thing that I, I do have two wallets now. <laughs> I have my... <laughs> I have my slim wallet that I take out for just the normal stuff, and then I've got my I, – I need absolutely everything with me wallet, in which case I have to move stuff back over. So. Oh, my God. But it's fine. So, I mean, 99% of the time, the money clip wallet, the slimline one, is all I need. It's, you know, if I'm going to go travel or do something big, then I'll take the full wallet. It's so funny. I still have a biker chain wallet without the chain that I got as a gift from the staff at JPEG Magazine when I got – I got drunk at Snakes on a Plane, and somebody rolled me and stole my wallet. <laughs> and they, they bought me another one as a as a, a consolation prize for not getting killed or stabbed. And I still have that, and it works right. fine. Uh, the next thing up is uh, the Swatum 8-in-1 Mini Gadgets Repair Tools Pen Style Precision Screwdriver Set Kit Home Improvement Red. I got red because red's my son's favorite color. Um, I've got tools all over the place, but they're usually put away in a closet. And, you know, especially now having a kid because every every battery compartment in every kid's toy requires a tiny little screwdriver to get it open because, God forbid, a kid open it up and eat a battery. Um, I've basically needed screwdrivers a lot. I just keep this in a little pen cup that I've got. And anytime I need a screwdriver, it's right there. Super convenient. In fact, it's been so convenient and I've liked it so much, I bought another one to have at my mom's house because of all my kids' toys there. Okay. And last up, which I have not used yet, is the Wallet Ninja 18-in-1 credit card size multi-tool, number one best-selling in the world, black. Uh, this would have been so convenient and awesome for me about 20 years ago because bottle opener. Yeah, you know, I had one that's like shaped like a monkey. I carried right. it around in my wallet forever, and then I realized it's just adding too much weight to my wallet, and I never, ever used it. <laughs> So, yeah, it, they're heavy and I don't ever use it. And instead of putting it in my wallet, what I've done is I've thrown it in my backpack because there's a better chance of me recognizing that I've got it and need it with my backpack than it ever will with my wallet. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I this reminded me of something that I carry with me all the time that has saved my bacon a ton. And it's the Swiss Tech Utilikey 6-in-1. It's a little $2 key that looks like a key clips on your keychain it's always there it does have a bottle opener on it and just a basic screwdriver and some some other doodads and goo mm-hmm. but you can get it through tsa too so it's always with you it's pretty oh, nice good. yeah cool. but for two bucks well worth it utilities are awesome now i found a new app that i am thoroughly in love with it's called front and center and mm-hmm. it's by uh, john syracusa of uh accidental tech podcast fame and other podcasts out there uh it's Three bucks in the App Store, and what it does is it fixes a problem with uh, uh, Mac OS X, which has right. driven me crazy. So an app has, like, say, five windows open, 
mm-hmm. you go to another app. Those get put in the background. Are you moving around apps and everything? And then you click on the app and you want all of the windows to come forward. But it only brings forward the window that you click on, not oh. everything else. This yes. fixes that. So what you're saying is this can be baked into the next version of OS. Well, it used to be. This is That's why it's called classic mode. Right. Because it actually goes back to the way things used to be. And I wish they would just bake it in. It would have saved me three bucks, but I got it this morning. And it's like, because my big problem is I'm, I, I do my email in Spark and, you know, my Spark inbox is big and it's easy to click on. But I have a separate window open for the email that I'm actually composing. Then I have to click on Spark. That one comes up. Then I have to go to window and find the window and have that come to the front. So it's a pain in the ass every time I'm just writing an email and I need to go, like, do a quick research thing and come back. Then I got to find the windows, blah, blah, blah. Three bucks. Easy beasy. Uh, you just click on it. All the windows come back forward. So good. Cool. I might have to get that. And since we're on little utility things, I, I want to talk about Tyke again real quick. Uh, my friend Andre Torres wrote this ages ago, and it is a simple free little app that sits up in your menu bar. And all it is is just a, basically a pasteboard for plain text. You put you take any like formatted text, you paste it in there, it converts it to plain text. You can copy it back out, work on it for a second and boom. Put it back where you need it to go. It's just, it's so handy. I use it, you know, 20 times a day. Downloading it it right now. Oh, Tyke is awesome. I need this. Especially, yeah. (laughs) Especially with us and doing show notes and things like that, it will be your best friend and it's free. So thank you, Andre. And uh, the final thing, since you had all of your little things, I'm like, let let me talk about this one one last time. Kershaw Leak Pocket Knife, three inch serrated folding blade, 1660ST. When you absolutely positively have to shiv someone overnight. I've been carrying this knife for over 10 years and they are fantastic. They're like 45 bucks. It is the best pocket carry. It's assisted open. So make sure that they're legal in your state. Uh, They are legal here in California, but it's basically a switchblade. It is nothing short of a switchblade. But when you need to open, I I mean, yeah, it's granted mine has never tasted the sweet flesh of a human, but Amazon boxes boxes have no chance against it. But definitely get the serrated one. It comes in really handy. So I've got a three-year-old. I go to a lot of places that have things for three-year-olds to do. Yes. <laughs> One of them is, and, and I do remember ball pits very fondly. So I've spent a lot of time around ball pits. I loved a good ball pit. Nothing wrong with a ball pit. It's just a, a big empty hole with a bunch of plastic spheres dumped inside. But it, it is so much fun to play in them. And I totally remember that. And my kid goes crazy. He loves it. So I found this story that I came across about who invented the ball pit because somebody had to. It's been around for about 50 years now. Uh, They're all over the place, McDonald's, amusement parks, whatever. All of the world's ball pits can be traced back to one man, its inventor, an Englishman named Eric McMillan. And basically, he did a lot of this stuff. This was kind of his job. He came from a rough upbringing, but he became the leading designer of children's play centers. So he he's designed all these sorts of things for, for kids, and the ball pit in particular, which has this crazy origin story. He and his team were, came up for the idea for the ball pit in San Diego more than 40 years ago by looking at a container of pickled onions in the kitchen. Huh. They looked at the onions and he said, wow, how about if you could crawl through those? And then instead of actually putting a bunch of pickled onions in a pit, they use plastic balls. <laughs> it might be more sanitary to actually have pickled onions. That's actually probably true. Yeah. That is the downside of the ball pit. As you see, all the kids climb out of it with snot dripping out of their nose and connecting to the balls. Now we know why you're so sick because you're always p- bouncing around in the ball pit at McDonald's. Yeah, it doesn't help. But, uh, you know, I didn't want to raise the boy in the bubble. 
It's so funny. I was raised in the bubble and I've never been in a ball pit. Dude, you're missing out. Uh, <laughs> seems like not. But... No, no, really you are. I mean, I, I've actually been in a ball pit as an adult and it was pretty amazing. This was quite a long time ago when a friend of mine was throwing a bunch of raves and he did it. He managed to convince a kid's play center to let him throw a rave in it. It was oh unbelievable. God. I'm sure we trashed the place, but it was a lot of fun. I bet, man. Yeah. No, my mom would never let me go in them. So I just always assumed that there was something wrong. And I was just, I just never, never partook of the balls. Well, Jason, you should do yourself a favor and find one. You'll enjoy it. It'll put a smile on your face and, and whooping cough in your throat. Speaking of smiles, turns out uh, <laughs> forcing a smile at work leads to drinking at home. Explains a lot. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so it turns out if you have a crappy job and you're forced to smile a lot at work, uh, you're going to drink when you go home. <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> a team of researchers from Penn State and the University of Buffalo have uh, deduced that uh, from talking to 1,600 workers all across the U.S., uh, like, you know, people in customer service and things like that who have to smile to make make their job go go by faster and uh, make sure people aren't upset. Turns out that there is a direct correlation with how much they have to smile at work falsely and how much they drink when they go home. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> oh, man. And uh, I, I have to put this in here. I meant to put it in last year, but we just ran out of time. Uh, calling bullshit. I ran across this on Twitter. A friend of mine, I think Jessica Stover, linked to them. And I'm like, I was intrigued. I'm like, ooh, we like bullshit here on the show. So <laughs> I checked it out. And it's actually a, it's a college course called Calling Bullshit by Carl T. Bergstrom and Jevin West. Should be required. It should be absolutely required. They have their their videos up from the course from 2017, and I spent like you know like a half an hour as soon as I saw them and, and went into it, and they just called bullshit on bullshit. It's fantastic, and they even called bullshit on themselves. You know, they they did some graphs on their website traffic, and they're like, "Let me explain to you why this graph is bullshit," and. <laughs> I was immediately reminded of when CBS All Access launched and we called them on their bullshit because their press release the day <laughs> after they launched said we had a record number of subscribers yes, on our launch because day. Before you had zero. <laughs> you went from zero to even one is a record day. It's like, oh man. So definitely check this out. It's at callingbullshit.org. Link will be in the show notes, and their Twitter account will be also linked in the show notes. And they're very funny. They I, I res like went back and forth with them on Twitter for a little bit, and they're very funny guys. Oh yeah, even their disclaimer is hilarious. It's good stuff. Yeah, because I was I, I I mentioned I'm like if you have nothing to do on New Year's Eve, and instead of going out and failing to trying to get laid, you should just sit home and watch these videos. And then uh, our friend uh, Eric Hunley says, "Well, why can't you just sit home and get drunk and watch them?" And then they responded, "Well, it's in the disclaimer not to be used with alcoholic beverages." Boom, <laughs> done. So they're 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 sharp dudes, and highly recommend the videos. So good. And the last thing I have is a video that uh, will be linked in the show notes. Which it's a fun watch. It's called Celebrities Failed Auditions. Auditions versus actual scenes. So you can see how the movie came out and the people that actually auditioned for it that didn't get the part. And Kurt Russell as uh, Han Solo would have been weird. Yeah. I gotta say. No. Not Wouldn't down with it. Nope. So I, I think this is a, it's a good uh, lesson on casting, but it's uh, it's a fun video. Elizabeth Wurzel, the author of Prozac Nation, is dead at the 
stunningly young age of 52. Uh, she is a metatastic breast cancer. So, you know, that's going to happen. I don't know if you ever read Prozac Nation. I did. I loved it. I actually read a lot of her books. I know she pissed off a lot of people. Um, a lot of people say she actually wasn't a very good writer, but yeah, whatever. She was the, one of the first people that came out there and just kind of spewed it out all on paper, total confessional writing, uh, highly influential. Now that's basically all we see anymore. Really? Um, I loved her. I thought she was great. And I was sad to hear that she passed away. And, uh, I have a number of friends that have passed away from metastatic breast cancer. So please check out metaviver.org and donate. If you can help find a cure until next time, I'm Brian Schulmeister. And I'm Jason DeFilippo. Thanks for listening to Grumpy Old Geeks. To support the show and keep us on the air, go to GOG.show slash donate. Toss us a few bucks a month and we'll love you forever. Your support keeps us going and we really appreciate it. Also, if you're listening to us on the Overcast player, please click those little stars. We're moving back up the ranks now that we're back on the air. So thank you very much. We wanna we gotta take down we gotta take down Ferris. We gotta take down ATP. We know we're never gonna take down Rogan, but damn it, we wanna try. Show notes for this episode are at GOG.show slash four oh five. From there, you can find links to old episodes, leave feedback, ask questions, donate to the show, and get links to stuff we like. Stay grumpy.